Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. We do indeed thank you, our great God and Father, for these wonderful truths we've been singing of, of a Redeemer, one who should buy us back, one who should give us a fresh start and all eternity certain because of his death on the cross. And we pray now that as we wait for that glorious day, we would live such good lives among unbelievers that though they may accuse us of doing wrong, They may see our good deeds and glorify you on the day you visit us. And so we ask you to help us to see how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit down. Well, I have my own uh, welcome uh, to that of uh, Ben's. Thank you, Ben, for leading us so far in the band as well. Um, Let me encourage you to do two things. One would be to take up your Bible and to uh, turn to the reading that we had uh, from Peter just earlier, page 1219. And we're looking uh, through uh, the book of 1 Peter, as has been mentioned several times in the service. This week, uh, we arrive at chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. The other thing I think you'll find helpful is to dig out the uh, little handout, uh, the, the sermon outline uh, that, is, uh, that was tucked inside uh, your bundle as you came in. Uh, that'll help you to see where we're going and has a few cross-references on it as well. Uh, this week in the news, a, a storm in British politics over UKIP's decision 
to join forces with a Polish MEP as part of the Eurosceptic grouping in the European Parliament. I wonder if you heard about it. The problem? The Polish MEP in question had recently caused controversy after reports that he said that hitting wives could be, and I quote, bring them back down to earth. Mr Farage insisted the wife-beating comment was just a joke. Uh, well, let me tell you, no matter how I look at it, there's nothing funny about that, and I'm certainly not laughing. Now, I mention it tonight because I want to assure you that as we read the first verse of 1 Peter chapter 3, whatever Peter is saying here, he is not advocating wife-beating, and he is not creating an environment where wife-beating would be encouraged or considered acceptable, even as a subject of sick humour. The context for these verses goes back to chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Uh, We've had them read already, but look at them with me. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, no, you don't feel at home in this world, this is not your home, you're waiting for a greater home, the future home. As aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Here, Peter is saying, from here, live such a good life, such a good life that others may even want to become Christians as they see you living such a good life. Live a life that is distinctively Christian, a life that will reinforce, if I can put it this way, the verbal proclamation that you've already given of the gospel. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 9. So speak out about the glorious truth of the gospel and then back it up by a great life, a life that is so impressive. Others will say, I want to know some more about that. Now, last week we saw that that good life, such a good life, is worked out in a life of submission. Last week, submitting to the governing authorities, chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Submitting in the workplace, here it is slaves and masters, but we saw that the closest to that is employer-employee, chapter 2, verse 18. And this week, working out this life of submission in the home, chapter 3, verse 1. In our small group on Wednesday, we grappled hard trying to work out what it would look like to submit to every authority, even, even to unjust uh, employers. Uh, but if we found it tough last week, I'm guessing that this week, just the reading of chapter 3, verse 1, has left a number here feeling uncomfortable and especially with the Polish MEP news story hitting the headlines this week. You see, to the modern ear, submission, and especially submission of a wife in marriage, sounds draconian. I don't remember much about my childhood. I don't know why, it's just one of those things. I just don't remember much about it. But one thing I do remember vividly was every Saturday afternoon watching the wrestling on World of Sport with Dickie Davis. Um, I wasn't that interested in wrestling, but it came on at about 4.30 in the afternoon. And I remember it, not because I was into wrestling, but because I'd be waiting for the football results to start coming through on the Vidi printer at 4.45. That will mean nothing to you. Uh, What on earth is a Vidi printer? Um, It won't mean anything to you either, I realise. Well, you see, uh, the the, the football results used to sort of come in, sort of ticka ticka ticka. See, Simon remembers. And 15 minutes before that, at 4.30, World of Sport would show 15 minutes of wrestling with characters like Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. Some of you remember them in this part of the congregation. And every bout began with the referee announcing that the contest would be won with three falls or a submission. 
So before I became a Christian, that was my understanding of submission. Submission is something you're forced to do by someone bigger than you, fatter than you, and uglier than you. (laughs) I submit was the reluctant cry that a bully extracts from his victim. Now, of course, if that is your understanding of the word, then of course you'll be outraged by chapter 3, verse 1, because to you, chapter 3, verse 1 reads, wives, give in to a bully that's bigger than you, fatter than you, and uglier than you. He's called your husband. Let me assure you that is not what's going on. I put this in context and we'll see that submission is not a case of a strong person dominating an inferior member of the human race. Take note of just four words in verse one. Wives in the same way. Those are the four words. Wives in the same way be submissive. See, in the same way, points us back to the end of chapter 2 and to the example of Jesus. Uh, We saw last week that um, as Peter begins to show us where we should submit, right slotted in the middle is Jesus' example. He is to be the supreme example for us. Chapter 2, verse 21, we are to follow in his footsteps. And as we look at Jesus, we can say loud and clear that submission is not a mark of inferiority or a statement of inequality or a sign of weakness. Jesus was not inferior to those he submitted to, verse 23, when they, that is the crowd, when they hurled their insults at him, Jesus wasn't inferior to the crowds who insulted him. And Jesus' submission was not a consequence of inequality. Again, verse 23, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, God the Son, is equal with God the Father. And Jesus' submission did not come from inferiority or inequality and his submission did not come about because of weakness. Again, verse 23, he made no threats. That's quite powerful. When you uh, look at chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, I've put the reference on the handout. Because that verse tells us that Jesus had legions of angels at his disposal. He made no threats, but he could have said, Oi, what are you doing? All I have to do is call down and legions of angels. Now, when we're talking about angels, we're not thinking about little Christmas tree decorations. Just one angel appeared to a hard, tough man like a shepherd and left them terrified. Had Jesus called more than 12 legions of angels down, he could have wiped out a lot of them. Now, the point is, it is clear as we look at Jesus that submission is not a sign of weakness and it doesn't imply imply inferiority or inequality. Rather, to submit is a way to live a distinct life in this world. So, over the page, uh, first point, wives submit, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Now, look, before we go any further, there'll be a good number here who are not married. And you might at this point decide just to switch off. Please don't, for at least two reasons. There might be other reasons, but I can think of two why you shouldn't switch off. First, you might not be married right now, but you might marry in the future. And this will help you to consider what marriage, Christian marriage, will look like. It will help you to think about the sort of person you might marry and the sort of person you should be in marriage. 
Second, if you're not married right now, and even if you never plan to marry in the future, understanding what the Bible says about marriage will help you to pray for married people and enable you, perhaps, to help your friends when they are struggling in marriage. So two reasons not to switch off, even if you're not married. And a word to the blokes here too. While the first part of this passage speaks to wives, from verse 6, husbands are addressed too. So please don't switch off. So then the principle of submission is to be lived out in marriage. In all marriages, note in verse 1, this speaks to a Christian married to a Christian and a Christian wife married to an unbelieving husband. The desire of the Christian wife married to the unbelieving husband is, verse 1, that they may be won over, that is, won to Christ by the submissive lifestyle of their wives. Now again, let me say two things about this. First, this is not encouraging Christian girls to marry unbelievers. There's plenty throughout the Bible that discourages that. No, this is addressing the situation where a woman has become a Christian when already married to an unbeliever. Second verse one is not suggesting that an unbelieving husband will become a Christian purely by the Christian wife living a good life. If you look carefully at verse one, if any of them do not believe the word. The point is they've already had the word of God taught them but they haven't yet put their trust in Christ so now try and win them over, reinforce the word that has been spoken to them with a life that impresses them. Now remember that is Peter's primary concern here right through this section. He's writing to encourage us lives to live lives in a world that will win people to Christ even in a society that rejects Christians. So he's saying, speak out for Jesus and live such a good life that others may be intrigued by our lifestyle and want to know more about Jesus for themselves. So as we read verse 1 and 2, let's pray for and support wives in this church family who are married to men who are not Christians. There are a number here and they find it tough that, they, that their husbands don't follow Christ. Their hearts break for their husbands. And let's face it, most of us find that home is the place where it is most difficult to live a consistent Christian life. It is hard, but when wives do live outstanding Christian lives at home, it it often results in unbelieving husbands becoming Christians. I think back to my days um, in Harold Wood, uh, St. Peter's Harold Wood in Essex. Uh, We had um, uh, a dozen or so women uh, who were married to unbelieving husbands uh, in, in the congregation. And those women met to pray, to encourage each other to live as they should at home, uh, to pray for their husbands to become Christians. And we, the Christian men who knew them, did things together with them. We actually built a roof together. The church centre needed a new roof. And one guy in the congregation was a builder. And he got the Christian men and the unbelieving men together to rebuild the roof. And so we got to know the men really well. And to cut a long story short, about a dozen men agreed to attend a Christianity Explored course and... um, just for those men, and over the next year or so, nine or ten of them became Christians. Now, crucial in, that, in them becoming Christians were the godly lives of their wives. So let's pray that wives in this church family may live the kind of life laid out here so that we see a number of unbelieving husbands becoming Christians in the weeks and months ahead. Indeed, let's pray for all wives to live the kind of life that is Laid out here, verse 2, pure and full of reverence. See, look, wives, your beauty, verse 3, should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, please, 
This is not saying that wives should stop having their hair done and stop wearing jewellery or stop dressing attractively. Rather, this is a positive encouragement to live a beautiful life that is more than skin deep. Because looking good physically is not distinctively Christian. The world is obsessed with outward beauty. Go to Metal Hall on a Saturday afternoon. No, no, don't. I don't know why I just told you to do that. I mean, I'm saying look at the amount of money spent on beauty products, on clothes, on accessories, on hairdressing. The sums spent are eye-watering. So looking good physically won't win anyone over to be a Christian because there's nothing distinctively Christian about looking good, which is why I don't bother. There's, there's nothing wrong with it, just nothing specifically Christian about it. But there is another beauty, an inner beauty, that is otherworldly and speaks powerfully to this world. And it will speak very powerfully to unbelieving husbands. And of course, this is not just directed at wives who are married to unbelieving husbands. This is a word to all wives, as we've already seen in verse 1. Develop an, an ever more beautiful character and your beauty will thrive and blossom as you get older. Note how Peter describes this inner beauty in verse 4 as, do you see it there? Unfading. Now that should ring bells for us as we've been studying 1 Peter. Peter's already used that kind of language, unfading. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 4, you don't need to look at it now. Peter spoke of our heavenly, eternal inheritance as something that will never perish, spoil or fade. We have an unfading inheritance in contrast to everything in this life that does fade. Here we're reminded that physical beauty fades, but there is an inner beauty that is unfading. Physical beauty fades. Just a trip to a nursing home or geriatric ward will tell you that. And while you're wandering around the nursing home, if you look carefully and spend time with some of the residents, you'll meet some people who are extremely beautiful. They have an inner beauty that flows out of them in a gentle, quiet spirit. Well, frankly, other old women around them are bitter, complaining gossips. But some, something lovely radiates out of them. And it is really impressive to witness. It really stands out. See, if outward beauty is all we have, we're on a hiding to nothing. No amount of beauty products and plastic surgery and Botox and liposuction can beat the inevitable rot of wrinkling, baggy skin that gravity pulls ever further downwards, he says as he looks in the mirror every morning. That's why inner beauty, a beautiful character, is, as it says in verse 4, of great worth in God's sight because it lasts. Isn't that wonderful? Here is a real challenge to be different from the world. Again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, ladies, don't make yourself look outwardly attractive. That's not the point at all. It's just that this is what's different from the world. So much of this world values only or pri primarily physical beauty. Look at the magazines on the news, news agency. Again, don't do that. I don't know why I said that. Uh, look at hello and okay. We are fixated by physical beauty, physically beautiful people. But it didn't last. Value inner beauty more highly. Uh, this is a challenge for women, for all women here, not just wives, to invest more on their inner beauty than they do on their outer beauty. This is a challenge to men to value what God values, to be more concerned for the inner beauty of character than physical beauty. Single men here, 
When you're thinking of who you might marry, don't be wowed alone by physical beauty. I'm not saying you shouldn't be physically attracted to someone. If you're going to marry them, of course you should be physically attracted to them. But if it's only physical attraction, and that's all you're after, your thinking is very short-term and your thinking is really very worldly. Now, if you want to know what this looks like, wonderfully, there are some very good examples of godly women here in this congregation. Women who, as they get older become more beautiful because of the purity and reverence of their lives. Women with a gentle spirit. It is lovely to see. Gentle, not wanting to dominate their husbands. Willing to submit to their husbands and allow their husbands to take the lead, as is the biblical uh, norm. Now, I could point to women in this congregation. Peter points to godly women in the Old Testament. Look, verse 5. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now there again in verse five is one of the great themes of the letter. Do you see, they put their hope in God, that word hope. They had their confidence fixed on the future. See, it is women who live for the Lord and for the hope of their inheritance heavenly inheritance which we saw back in chapter 1 verse 3 that same word hope it is those women who will become increasingly beautiful in character they're looking ahead hope is in God hope's in the future not just in this life Peter calls them again in verse 5 he calls them holy women another key word that Peter's been using to be holy is to be distinctively Christian We've already seen in chapter 1, we become holy by setting our hope fully on the future inheritance. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. So, verse 6, look at Sarah, Abraham's wife. She wasn't perfect, but she's held up as one who lived a life of submission to Abraham. And Peter says to Christian women, you are daughters of Sarah if you do what is right and don't give way to fear. Doing what is right in this context is living a life of submission. And not giving way to fear, well, here's another big issue Peter is beginning to develop right now. So in chapter 2, verse 17, he told us to fear God. In chapter 3, verse 14, next week, we'll see that if we're to live a distinctively good life, it will be a life that doesn't blend in in with the world, but a life that fears Jesus Christ, that fears him above the world. So here he's saying, wives, yeah, you may be fearful of living a life of submission, But here, Peter says, but fear God most. Obey him above all things, and that will give you the courage to live this kind of life. Well, so much for wives. Now Peter turns to husbands, uh, the second point uh, on the handout. You see, we're nearly at the end. And uh, husbands, be considerate, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. See, husbands, in the same way, husbands have a responsibility to live a good and distinctly Christian life. And that means, particularly for verse 7, husbands are to be considerate. Not a hint of wife beating here. Do you see the point? But you see, this is crucial when a wife is submitting. Christian submission is not an excuse for an opportunity to take advantage of a godly wife and to have her weight on you hand and foot. 
That's not Christian submission at all. Well, it's not the way the husband should respond to Christian submission. Christian men, see verse 7, treat your wives with respect as, verse 7, the weaker partner. Now, please, that's not a pejorative comment. It's not a comment about character, but about physical strength. I think it's simply that. It is generally true that husbands are physically stronger than their wives. I'm no muscle man, but I'm stronger than Caroline. Just in case you hadn't noticed I'm no muscle man, I thought I'd better point it out. (laughs) As a result, it would be easy to bully or threaten a submissive wife, do you see? That mustn't happen. Not they're the weaker partner just because they're not as strong physically, so don't you take advantage because they're being submissive. And I love the next phrase there in verse 7, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. A husband should see his wife as equal with him in the Lord. Isn't that brilliant? The wife is also an inheritor of what is kept in heaven for us. Again, it's going back to chapter 1, verse 4, when we heard about our inheritance. Husbands and wife, equal inheritors of that great heavenly inheritance. This is quite countercultural. As Peter wrote, wives would not have been inheritors of an estate at all. But in Christian marriage, husband and wives are equal partners. Equal in the Lord's sight. Equally given what the Lord has to give. Isn't that wonderful? So husbands, treat your wives with respect and be considerate towards your wives. Don't take them for granted. They are equal partners. And when they're submitting to you, don't you dare take advantage of them. And if there are any husbands here who are doing that, I'm going to say as a husband to you, stop it tonight. Go and and apologise to them. Repent immediately and start telling them that you're going to treat them like this from now on and ask them to help you to do that. Because there is no place for Christian men bullying their wives. And then note this, you see, uh, 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 we should treat our lives like that. So end of verse 7, nothing will hinder your prayers. The assumption here is that Christian couples pray together. That's the point. Now, clearly, if the husband is not treating the wife as he should, perhaps taking advantage of her good submissive life, treating her like dirt, well, that will hinder them as they come to pray together. Well, eventually they won't bother praying together. And the big point is this. A Christian marriage lived like this, of a wife willingly submitting to her husband, and the husband treating his wife with, as his equal and with respect and being considerate towards her, A Christian marriage like that will be a most powerful witness to the world. That kind of marriage will stand out. And not least of all in these days when when sadly marriages often don't even last. People do see us. They see how we live together. They see how we are in social settings. I do so detest when, when men especially seem to find it Amusing that they can put their wives down in a social setting, around a dinner party. Or when, they're, when their wives are not around and they're, they're just talking about her indoors. That's what the world does, not for us to do. Live differently. The world sees how we live when we invite them into our homes and share our lives with them. And a Christian marriage is a very powerful thing. It is a very attractive thing. People will look on and say, Even if they don't say it to us, they say, there's something different about the way they live. I like that. I want that. And ultimately, it will speak of them about Jesus. 
and will speak of the greatest marriage in the universe, the marriage between Christ and his people. The ultimate relationship that completely fulfills us, the marriage we were made for. Friends, you see, if we can live this way, it'll be very powerful indeed. This is what it is to do, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans. They accuse you of doing wrong. They just may see your good deeds. They just might and think, I want a slice of that. So they're ready to praise God when he comes and visits us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you very much indeed for once again your word being remarkably practical and down to earth. And we thank you very much that your Holy Spirit gives us the the power, uh, the resources, the desire even to want to live this way. And we do pray that as we see how we can live a life in the family in a quite distinctive way, that you'd help those of us who are not doing it to repent. You'd help those of us who are doing it to keep going. And you'd help us as we live this uh, for it to have a very big impact on the world around us that they may want to know why we live the way we do. May all that be to your praise and glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.